Hello everyone and welcome to the Story X Story podcast where we discuss stories across pop culture plus give you advice on creating your own. It's episode number 94 and we are going behind the story. I'm your co-host Nigel. I am Tazzy, content creator and co-host. And as you know, we like to talk with creative professionals across industries to unpack the story that is the journey into their industry. And today we're going to hear the story behind Fef Silvers, co-founder of the Association of Comic Creators and a comic creator uh, herself. Fef, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here. Oh, so yeah, it's good to have you. And well, we're going to find out all about you, so bear with us and we'll start peppering you with questions. So before we get to that, just to remind people that you can subscribe to Story X Story on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from pretty much. You can also send us your feedback and questions to feedback at myamada.com. Drop them in our Discord, throw them at us on social media. We are at myamada on Twitter, at myamadatv on Instagram, or at Tazzy on both. So let's find out what has been happening in the Mayamada universe. We've got a few things uh, going on. We are in the middle of, well, not in the middle, we're done with our latest uh, manga, but we're in the middle of getting out maybe. But our latest manga, Serious Through the Fog, the standard and collector's editions are both available. So that has been completed. Uh, very happy that that has been done uh, i was talking about it with uh someone earlier today and uh yeah it's there if you've been listening to the podcast you know it's our pandemic uh inspired for lack of a better word story features blake serious and his team dealing with a pandemic scenario much like we have been over the past however many years it's been who knows what time is anymore so you can check that out Um, We have also started a new series called Casual Conversations with Comic Creators. Hopefully, it's not too hard to decipher what that is about. Uh, So every month, I'm going to be having a conversation with a different comic creator. Uh, It's going to be a live stream series on Twitch. So I recently spoke with Rachel Smith about her latest release, Wired Up Wrong. Rachel has been uh, on the podcast before, so... Yeah, we had a, a live uh, discussion about her latest work. So you can check out the highlights on YouTube. Studio 77 members will have access to the full interview soon as well. And then stay tuned for more conversations. So aiming for like the first Tuesday of each month. Uh, we'll see how that goes. But if you uh, follow us, um, you'll find out when we put up those notifications. In February, we are going to be bringing back the Story Club. In fact, the day you are listening to this if you are listening to this on the day the podcast goes out we're doing it we're probably doing it right now so there you go if you have missed it though you can catch our next story club uh, episode we're doing a deep dive into psychonauts 2 uh, the video game from double fine uh, with mental health gaming charity gaming the mind so we're going to be going into all aspects of that game i enjoyed the first one uh, enjoying the second one and you have to check out the live stream or the VOD to hear the rest of our uh, thoughts there. Uh, We're also going to be bringing back our games night. We didn't quite get to one in January, but each month, towards the end of each month, we will be playing uh, a different game, or actually we come back to some games as well, but we'll be playing a game with our Studio 77 members. Uh, So that's usually the last Thursday of the month from 7pm GMT. So check that out and you can also check out the highlights from our past games nights 
which have become watch us um, play games, sometimes watch us play games uh, badly, uh, or at least me, let me not speak for everyone else. So, or watch us draw badly as well, because uh, we did Gartic Phone uh, a while ago, and that was, yeah, that was uh, eye opening. some questionable drawings there, yeah. Very, very questionable <laughs> <laughs> drawings. Uh, hilarious, <laughs> but also questionable. Um, and looking a bit further ahead, we have our Gamepad Online Spring event, which will be on Saturday the 9th of April, live on Twitch and hosted by Tazzy. So as part of the event, it is a mix of gameplay so we'll be streaming our friendly fire competition where different teams from different communities sometimes across the world come together in a more casual more accessible competition where it's not necessarily about being the best at the game i guess you just gotta be better than everyone else but yeah so you can take part in that uh we have industry interviews so we'll be uh, streaming a bunch of interviews I think for this one, we will have a panel as well. So just working on some panelists um, around a particular discussion. So look out for more information on that. Uh, And yeah, you can take part in the Friendly Fire competition. Submit your team, uh, join our Discord, give us a shout. We will also have a link in the show notes. uh, You can submit your team through the website uh, as well. So the tickets are free and we'll be doing some kind of giveaway. Haven't decided on what yet, but something will be given away to people who get tickets uh, and join us live. So definitely do both of those things. And the thing that I am becoming uh, a little bit more comfortable talking about after so long of not being able to talk about, our recently launched Do I Look Like a Gamer campaign is now out. It's out into the wild. Got a, a message about it from someone today as we record who said, it's great to see it out in the wild. I'm like, yeah, wow, it is. It's loose, basically. It's loose. It's out. Uh, it's out of the cage. So this is our campaign promoting diversity and inclusion in the video games industry. We have started by collecting um, 40 players, makers, different people um, from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, genders, showcasing the diversity that does exist in video games as a way to hopefully inspire young and aspiring professionals that there is a place for them in the industry, but then also provide opportunities for them to develop, gain a bit more awareness and those first steps uh, into the industry. So the response has been, it's really cool, actually. It's uh, just seeing people react to the, the photos that are out. I've had some conversations with um, people about it. People are giving me ideas of things we can do. So I think mm-hmm. it's going to be an interesting, interesting few months. There's a few ideas that we already had and then seeing people have those same ideas. Yeah, like, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. We should like, do that. Maybe we should do that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I've, got, I've got, I had a few just today. So Tazzy, I've got more to, uh, to share with you there. So yeah, I think um, the reaction's been uh, really cool. Uh, hopefully we can sort of build on that. We can uh, reach more people and just yeah, help challenge those stereotypes around the word gamer and who can play games, who can make games, that kind of thing. So definitely check that out. We have some events planning or we're planning over the spring. So we've got a careers roundtable uh, for young people, uh, parents as well, guardians, carers, uh, to get some understanding of what games careers actually look like and you know, it's not just about playing games. Uh, we have opportunities to learn more about game design. So with our family game design jam, um, and I definitely got some ideas from that 
uh, today. So uh, yeah, yeah, Tazi, we, yeah, we're going to talk at some point. Uh, and networking, networking, ice cream, video games, that's the plan. So that opportunity to develop those key networking skills are so important for any industry really. But because we're talking about video games, we're going to be doing it in the context of video games. So check that out. Check out the website. We'll put a, a link in the show notes. You can see the 40 photos and then find out about the events as and when we confirm uh, those dates and details. So that is a snapshot of where we are in the Mayamada universe. Let's find out about today's guest. So Feth Silvers is a self-taught creator making comics with a whimsical style mixed media illustrations and is also the co-founder of the association of comic creators which is a grassroots group of creatives who aim to improve transparency within the comics industry through collaboration and knowledge sharing so we'll definitely be getting into some of that because i'm yeah that's a definitely a topic like uh want to dig a bit more into but fef let's start with the the beginning or near the beginning you are where, where are you in the world right now uh, in the world right now, I'm just outside of Leeds, West Yorkshire, a little town called Pudsey. It's really cute. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. So you are you are up north, as they say, or at least we say in in London. Yes, about literally everywhere else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anywhere that's above the M25, that's up north. <laughs> so. It's quite funny because me being in Leeds is actually me moving south. I used to be from the even further north than Yorkshire. It's further north? Yes. Where's that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's Scotland. But oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, that, that place. Yeah, yes. Uh, so you haven't always lived in, in Yorkshire. There's, there's, there's other places. Yeah, um, I grew up in the northeast, just about 45 minutes south of newcastle i'm trying to think of places that people will actually like yeah. <laughs> recognize on a map um so yeah i basically moved to leeds back in uh 2013 around this time so it's actually nine years now oh, that wow. i've been in leeds okay and you you mentioned being self-taught so i take it that you didn't study illustration or I don't do they even do comic degrees um but I mean what did you study in, in school or, or university um I studied physics at university oh, um wow. that's <laughs> yeah. a difference that's a proper not many people expect a sort of stem degree but where I grew up the idea of sort of becoming an artist was just not something that got pushed on you because I mean I grew up in a very deprived area uh basically half of our art teachers thought of art as just a hobby not a career wow wow the yeah. art teachers yeah yes. <laughs> what chance do you have what <laughs> right? that's just shocking can you imagine coming in wait hold on let's <laughs> I'm just trying to picture this scenario can you imagine coming into work like to teach kids and and you say this isn't worth anything, kids. <laughs> just... <laughs> I suspect my art teacher, the one who specifically said that art, and it was more specifically comics, was a hobby. Not mentioning, you know, how how I must know about comics by buying comics and reading comics, which have been written and drawn by people. But I was not 
obviously I was just a teenager. I wasn't going to say all that, was I? But I had a suspicion that she was not particularly happy being an art teacher. I'm getting a suspicion. (laughs) Might have tried to save our poor young hearts in a very bitter way. But she didn't put me off, obviously. (laughs) I detoured for about eight years or so. Was it eight years? Oh my goodness. Maybe it's about six or seven years, I think, I detoured. And then by chance found out about the Lakes International Comic Art Festival, which is my first comic convention ever. And I went there and I realized that actually, you know, I could be, I could start thinking of myself again as a a comic creator and I could basically go to conventions and (laughs) like sell, sell, sell comics that I've made. So, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> you just uh dropped physics was were you interested in physics or was it just a, a thing to, i mean physics isn't really a thing to do because physics is hard it was tough um but i did enjoy it i think it comes from uh like a natural curiosity i have for life i like to know things is still applicable today i still like to know things and physics at the time seemed to explain as much about the universe at least how it worked in a way that sort of appealed to me and I've always had quite a analytical mathematical mind at times not always but enough enough for a physics degree I guess yeah well I mean that's a lot (laughs) we don't just hand out physics degrees but yeah no I was really interested in physics I particularly liked I guess this is almost related to art but light physics so how light rays focus and sort of how they split by prisms flashbacks to a level now i'm like <laughs> interestingly enough the level i'm on on psychonauts that's exactly one of the mechanics used it's very interesting but sorry to interrupt <laughs> no, i still find it fascinating is it like the new psychonauts sorry i know that you're like you're supposed to ask me questions but yeah. i haven't played it yet <laughs> this i is really enjoyed into a the conversation. original <laughs> I really no, yeah, enjoy... it's the new Psychonauts, yeah. Oh, awesome. I really like the first one. <laughs> yeah, me too. So check out our live stream. Um, <laughs> so with the, I mean, you mentioned going to the lakes. Was that was that like the light bulb moment, to, uh, excuse the pun, but uh, in terms of like, okay, now I'm going to go back on a, the comics track. Is that what did it for you? Yeah, basically, um, I was actually supposed to go with a friend who pulled out I decided to go anyway by myself, which I think actually helped. But yeah, it's like not, I guess not so much a light bulb as it was like, it just re-sparked like the kind of embers of my creativity, uh, my desire to be a sort of comics creator that had kind of been a bit dormant since my teenage years. And I basically, yeah, it just relit that fire that's kind of been burning strong uh, like ever since and had you still been drawing in a artistic way, less of a maybe physics way, but or were you starting again from not quite scratch, but did you have to dust off your pencils, paper? I was still drawing because I have never not drawn. Okay. <laughs> um, well, it was, I guess, it felt more focused once I decided that I could be a comic creator. Um, I'd still was making stories in the back of my head still sort of getting them down as scripts and 
thumbnails and not great ones because I hadn't really sort of done a lot of studying of it, but I was still following stories. Like, the storyteller never died, but the storyteller realised that they they had a place in in life now and, like, it's not unreasonable to, you know, switch gears and go into comics maybe a little later than a lot of people who do saw illustration degrees, for example. I mean, yeah, I guess everyone has their own uh, has their own path. So in, in terms of like your art style, it's always a good question for audio podcast, but how would you describe your art style or maybe any influences that might uh, give some reference to that? So I generally use the word manga-esque because it has somewhat matured since I started where it was very, very manga so my comic pages are in black and white with splashes of colour and that's partially a time-saving thing and also <laughs> a stylistic choice for my current one. But there's definitely very heavy anime manga influences, uh, probably a, a smattering of sort of Nickelodeon Cartoon Network cartoons. It's like not as heavy as it used to be, but now it's sort of going towards kind of somewhere between manga, like basically... Yeah, the Eastern manga style and the Western like comic book style. At least that's the intent. I think a lot of people see, look at it and just see uh, the manga, to be honest, because it is kind of heavier towards the manga, towards manga side. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I, I get it, because our art style um, is like definitely manga. I, I've been saying manga-ish, so that's my description. It's kind of, yeah, uh, manga style, but certainly that Western kind of disney because our characters are animals as well so it's that kind of style but i also see a lot of uh like watercolors in your work oh yeah i've always been a massive fan i tried to do it in my teens um but never quite never quite understood watercolors and i think so i actually stopped for about 10 years and it was only in the last three or four years that i picked it up properly it taken me a while to sort of learn how to learn so I got a proper self like introduction to watercolors, and I've just basically went through a, a two years of basically painting and painting and painting, and now it's tapered off a bit as I start to sort of understand how my pigments work. And but I do like to use it. I especially like doing wet on wet, so I don't do very neat watercolors. <laughs> um, <laughs> I can if I want to, but I I very much have more fun just uh, sort of letting the brush and the water and the pigments do their thing. Okay, and wet on wet, it, it just for those like maybe myself who don't uh, dabble in watercolors, what does that mean? So wet on wet is where you basically drop paint into wet paint or water that's already on the page or the canvas. Oh. So instead of sort of basically wetting your brush in water and then sort of getting your pigment and painting it on, which would be wet on dry because it's a dry surface. Wet on wet is painting wet paint onto a wet surface. And that's okay. how you get those um, the blending and the spread. That is quite, I'd say, typical of the stuff that I do is basically because I'll put some strokes down, get another pigment and just sort of drop it in and just let it, like let the paper sort of soak it up and make it run i guess <laughs> All right, that sounds interesting are you, are you um fan of the black sad series of comics 
I have n- never read them, but I'm going to add it to my list because that sounds like yeah, something. Yeah, it's, it's all watercolours and very detailed watercolours oh. as well. So it's a, uh, like a film noir uh, series. And I mean, it's a really, really well done series, but it's also anthropomorphic. So it's almost like, um, I guess, like more adult version of an anthro style that that we do but so film noir uh, detailed sort of character development and uh heavy themes and things like that but the art style is is watercolor and it's just every panel every page is just like a work of art oh, amazing so yeah i think if you if you hadn't already uh, heard of that go check that out because i'm i'm pretty sure you will enjoy this i do need more comics on my reading list now so it's going <laughs> right to the top there you straight go to the top <laughs> you are welcome um, thank you <laughs> <laughs> and i mean one of the things that we will talk about over this interview is that idea of like sort of balancing work uh comic work and self-employment and that whole thing i mean in terms of what you do now is it like a mixture of like a, a quote-unquote nine-to-five and comics work yeah, um, so the beginning of this year, I was, well, sort of the towards the end of last year, for sort of personal reasons, I had to sort of return to employment. So now I'm balancing a, a kind of nine to five with comics work and still getting used to that. It's I'm quite lucky in that my current employer is quite flexible with things, so I don't have to be in the office every day. I realize I'm really lucky to be in that kind of place and stuff. And sort of the quite, it's quite easy to get leave if I need it. So it is a bit of a challenge. And I know it's possible though, because I used to do it way back when, a few years ago, when I was working on the Britland City slash Tea Girl comics, which were, was the first, um, project i was working on when i had actually decided to rejoin a comics industry or join the comics industry i was doing about four very simple pages a week around a full-time nine to five and that even included the commute so it's possible you kind of have to sacrifice a few things so you can't go to every social event and i think in a way, you have to accept that you won't get as much done as your peers who are full, like, basically able to give more time to comics. And I think especially with sort of the pandemic and the impact it's had on people's mental health, um, it's more important to take more breaks. At least I found I have to take more breaks now than I did back when I was working on T-Girl. I'll enjoy that. What? What does a break mean to you? Like, is there anything that you do in in particular or don't do on a break? I try and just, con- I guess a break to me is cons- just consuming without creating. So it's kind of difficult because I like to doodle and I like to draw, but it's quite tiring. If I don't sort of keep an eye on it enough, I do sort of burn out creatively. So, for example, uh, if I wanted to spend a day of break, and it has to be around about, like, the good part of a day for me these days, um, I'll sort of watch, read books and comics, 
um, I'll resist the urge to break out the sketchbook, even though I know that I really, really want to draw, but I know I have to stop myself because once I get started on that sketchbook, because of the way that sort of creativity is that you start on something and then you've got like 10 different ideas crop up, I Mm. don't actually end up getting the benefits of actually stopping. So for me, I actually have to step away from making things as much as it hurts. Um, <laughs> but it is, it's for the benefit of myself and, you know, you've got to, you got to enjoy life as well. So, <laughs> and I also, I like enjoying story. I like stories. So it's a good excuse to catch up on all the stories I've been missing. Yeah, sometimes you just want to yeah enjoy the story and, and uh, that's it. <laughs> just, yeah. Just enjoy the story. I love that phrase, consuming without creating. I feel like I need that like written in nice lettering on my wall. Do it. You <laughs> can have it. Break. Consume, yeah. consume without creating because I literally don't even know how to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I honestly didn't either. I think there was an oatmeal comic about how... Um, I think he'd had to take a long break himself because he'd burnt out. And this comic came out of it where essentially he describes creating as breathing out. And if all you do is create, you kind of forget to breathe in and then your body will make you breathe in. So enjoying other people's stories, playing video games, reading books, sort of going out, that's the breathing back in. And then you can breathe out and create again. So mm, I like that. That's deep. Yeah, it's a ve- it's it's out there for free. It's on the oatmeal. Everyone should read it. Everyone should, especially if you want to create, because it's so important to take breaks so you don't burn out. Burnout is not good. Yeah, I think a good thing for me I find is sometimes um, just like going to the cinema. There's a cinema not too far from me, so uh, like cinema. That can be a social experience, but I find sometimes I can just go myself and it's good because I get to take in the story and there's no, it's not like I've got my laptop or (laughs) next to a computer or anything next to me. So I can't even like write anything. I I can only just enjoy the story. That's a good thing. Sometimes I just have to get out of the, uh, of the work environment, um, which is also my home. So, but it it works. Yeah. If I would, if I had one closer, I would probably be at the cinema all the time. So you mentioned some of your stories. Um, what kind of stories, what kind of comics do you make? And uh, are there any particular stories or characters you are drawn to? Uh, I like to make, I seem to be pulled towards sort of slight fantasy realism, like low fantasy supernatural stuff based in like urban settings. So T-Girl was a comedic superhero series set in a city that was just meant to be like a big mash of different British uh, city stereotypes. Um, If cities can have stereotypes, then yeah, try to condense an entire country into a city that was filled with like superheroes and supervillains. It was was quite silly. Um, There was a lot of wordplay puns. Um, I can't help myself. Um, I quite like wordplay. My current project is supposed to be less serious. Actually, it's relatively less serious. But again, sometimes I can't help myself with the wordplay. But it's also, this one's set in Durham, um, which is where I went to university, because it's a very, I think it's very beautiful, not very large city, 
but one field of history it feels like if there was ever going to be like a supernatural like series i always thought it should be set somewhere like durham or york but i know durham better than i know york so <laughs> it is set in durham and yeah again it's more this one's sort of more down to earth more i guess more british in feel because i just really as much as i enjoy sort of a lot of fantasy series and a lot of supernatural series they always seem to be quite london centric not that i have anything against london but okay cool a lot so of stories are like london centric or like yeah. america and it's sort of like well the north has a lot of history if you're gonna hide out somewhere if you're like me you probably want to hide somewhere like the the northeast where not a lot of people are yeah comparatively i will i will grudgingly admit there are other places other than london so yeah. <laughs> but it's always um i always like to write i guess i don't want to say like intelligent characters but i do try and avoid plots that require an um there's a trope called the idiot ball and i'd like to basically make sure that my series don't never relies on someone can you explain? I th I think I know what that means, but yeah. So the idiot ball is refers to kind of a plot. So an idiot ball plot is basically uh, some kind of story issue that's sort of or storyline that's sort of brought by a character acting very uncharacteristically stupid for a short amount of time. Like yes, um, so they have caught the idiot ball, basically. Yeah, so the, yeah. yeah, they've okay, caught I the idiot so. ball and they're holding it, and it's usually like a uh, not ridiculous, but it's kind of it's so out of character. It's just so noticeable. It's like you know when people go, "What did you do that for?" And I know sort of people do have idiot ball moments, but I don't think. I don't think it's necessary. At least I don't like writing idiot ball plots. I guess some people might like that. <laughs> I'm not one of those. So I mean, when you said it, I immediately thought of uh, The Walking Dead, which uh, I had some issues with early on. And I, I, in my opinion, would say there were some idiot ball moments in that show. Yeah. So I've actually not really watched our Red The Walking Dead. <laughs> I like zombie things, but... Uh, not necessarily zombie-based TV series. I don't know. There's the whole kind of uh, sort of end of the world scenario thing, which I can deal with for like a movie, but not for like <laughs> not for an extended series. Not of, for an extended. I don't know how many series. seasons that's on now, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I like to think that at least my plots are kind of believable and followable. Followable. <laughs> And that the weaknesses of my characters that do drive the plot, not related to them choosing suddenly to do something weird. It's because they're just naturally stubborn people or sort of stuck up or um, they think they know best, but they don't know everything. And Consistent with their character. Yeah, basically. Mm. So, but yeah, it's always some kind of, there's always some kind of fantastic element to my work. It's very escapist, I think. So I I tend not to write about my own experiences, although they may, you know, characters might go through something that I go through, but it's not intentional. Um, intentionally, like, a, like, I just like to write escapist fiction that I can escape into as well. Sure. And, 
I know it's like your much of your work that features women of color as protagonists. Why is that important to you? Because I just never had those growing up, really. If I think back to sort of the cartoons and the stories that I read growing up, if there was a character of color, they were always sort of the sidekick or the representation of them wasn't very good. Or like if it was a series that featured like a person of color, it would always be about racism or discrimination or something like that and I'm like I just want to write a story I just want to read stories where the main character happens to be mixed race without it being like a struggle being about them being mixed race like it's their whole identity (laughs) yeah it's like it's that's but basically I wanted stories with characters who are mixed race without them being mixed race being the point of the story um because a lot of media especially western media when it stars, you know, Caucasian characters, there's, it, it very rarely ever goes into, oh, you know, a history of them. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess they don't necessarily struggle, but, like, I just want something fun that people can enjoy, and it just so happens that the main character has dark skin. Like, that is my that is my driving force of writing my stories. I think of someone i can't i'm not gonna try and remember who said the quote be the change you want to see but like that's essentially my philosophy is like okay um no one else is doing it so i'm just gonna go out and do this i'm gonna write stories starring have with diverse casts and the diversity is a non-issue like it's just is it just is and they go out and they do all the fun stuff that you get in fantasy and sci-fi and things like that. So yeah, okay. <laughs> I just want want to bring fun, like something fun and entertaining to people. Yeah, no, I, I like that. that. Almost as like it reflects real life. Races and go about their lives. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like every time you meet someone in, in real life, they have to tell you about their struggles. Oh, man, it's a struggle. Let me tell you about Does it change the way you approach storytelling or is it just a, a natural thing for you? I think it's just a natural thing for me. So in terms of almost struggles in a way, I've been qu- quite fortunate that if I have been subject to it, I've never noticed. Or, I mean, I've had the odd comment but I couldn't say that I have personally felt um, I've been quite fortunate to be surrounded by people where, you know, the, the colour of my skin didn't matter and who my parents were didn't matter. And so I guess for me, that kind of storytelling comes naturally because I don't have I don't have a struggle to tell, um, right. I guess. And I wouldn't want to try because there are so many people who have such a obviously a, a deeper and better um understanding and like personal experience and um I don't wanna you know, you don't really wanna write about something that you don't wanna get it wrong basically. Yeah, like, no, I, I totally understand that. And yeah, I feel a similar thing in terms of like, yeah, it's not necessarily a, a struggle to write write about as a me individually, but uh, understanding that it does exist um can i give you another comic recommendation 
you, I don't yes. know, you might have heard this one, but uh, there's a series called Skyward. Ah, uh, yes, that's on my list. Okay, cool. Because that's a, that's a cool story. It's a story where like gravity suddenly becomes a fraction of what we know and then that changes everything. It's so simple. I wish I thought that concept such a great uh, <laughs> concept. But the protagonist, uh, Willa, I think Willa, is yeah black female and yeah it's not about that it's just she just is and uh, the story proceeds so that's a really cool story ah oh, bro oh, i'm looking forward to like reading yeah, that i'm then. just giving you like library recommendations now. that's totally fine i need them yeah. like i've got like the stuff that i like but i also like being told about things i don't necessarily come across myself so and i guess that goes to your Listeners as well, if you want to drop me <laughs> recommendations, yeah, yeah, please yeah. do. <laughs> it's public service I'm doing right here. So, <laughs> uh, so you you mentioned the the idea of mixed media illustrations. Yes. What does that mean for your work? So most of the time, it means my paintings actually turn into a combination of watercolor and ink. But sometimes I do start to bring in other materials like collage bits or um, stamps, for example. I had a massive phase of trying to find all the weirdest stamps that I could find them. And I have a little postcard series that I've never showed people because it's all very experimental still. But it's kind of like these weird phrases on stamps and then sort of like stamped on a portrait of one of the characters from one of my, my stories. And it's I might get back into that when I've got a chance. It's a bit difficult with time pressures because um, the more media you bring in, sort of, the more you have to experiment to see how combinations work. But it's right. it's good fun. It can introduce like a lot of interesting texture to work. And part of what I also like about watercolors is the textures that you can get just through. Um, some careful brush strokes, for example. Cool. That sounds really fun to experiment with. Yeah, it it is really fun. Not so fun when you experiment and you realize there's not really much you can show people. But in yeah. a way, it's a good way to pass the time and sort of just experiment and get the creative juices going a bit more. Yeah, I guess that's the kind of nature of creativity. Sometimes it just you get to a dead end, but it's not necessarily a complete dead end. You might have yeah had a good experience or learned something you can take and use elsewhere so in terms of like creating comics is there because you you're an illustrator and you write the stories is there a, a part of the comic creating process you think you're you're best at or you enjoy the most i'd say i'm probably a better artist than i am a better writer although i mean that's just in terms of i draw so much i don't necessarily write so much but i do enjoy the whole world building aspect of it and sort of getting the plot together so it it takes me a long time to get a storyline like to point to uh, as an example just earlier over the weekend I actually managed to figure out what I wanted the ending of my current project to be and I've been working on this project for the last three or four years Okay. Um, and it's kind of evolved a lot storyline wise so I honestly am envious of the writers who get an idea who can do sort of like a month or two of like research and then they've got a plot and they like it and it's solid 
mind tend to go, it would be cool to do this. And then it kind of evolves as it goes. And there's a lot of changes that come in, even from even when I started basically first scripting and, and, and drawing the first sort of volume of, of the final lullaby and my current project. And as I say, only the other day did I figure out what the real ending was to to the series. So I'm definitely, yeah, it's it's a lot easier for me to sort of design and draw a page than it is to actually to her, write. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting to know. I'm always interested for people because I, I can only do one. So I can uh, only write comics. No one would want to see the comics that I would draw. Uh, so I stick with writing. Um, but I was interested to hear from people who can do both if there is a, a preference or how that balances. So yeah, no, it's interesting to hear. And you you talked about your uh, your work, the uh, final lullaby, which you are currently running a Kickstarter for, right? That is correct for all of February, volume yeah. three. <laughs> so congratulations for getting a Kickstarter out, and also congratulations that you can see it is funded and. Uh, not to put your business out there, but you had a one and a half grand goal that you have exceeded and you have the rest of February to go. Yeah, it's really good. I basically funded within the first four days. How did you do that? Tell me <laughs> everything, <laughs> please. Um, well, it's a follow on from my last series, uh, the last Kickstarter, which was meant to be just for the first volume. And then I split the first volume into two, which is why my second Kickstarter is confusingly for the third volume. Um, oh, right. okay. <laughs> but I, while I've been working on the project, I've just, I basically, I guess I'm part of a fair few communities, um, not necessarily in comics, but also outside of comics. So I do stream on Twitch, not as often as I probably should. I think I'm I'm about to switch back to like once a week, like Friday night watercolors. It's quite chill. But um, sort of during the pandemic, there were a few other communities on Twitch uh, through streamers that I enjoyed watching. So I've just kind of um, and made friends of them, I guess. Um, they're all lovely communities. They're all such a joy. And it's kind of you. Um, they are probably the people who promote me more than I promote myself because I, <laughs> I find it quite difficult but when you sort of get to know a community and you know you get interested in what everyone else is doing people get interested in what you're doing as I say it does help that I had that first kickstarter that was also successful and um, so a lot of people who backed that first one have come to back the second one with the work I've done for the AOCC, I've sort of had a bit more exposure to other, more audiences. And essentially, I just kept talking about it in that first week. So I would have actually posted about how I had three weeks left, except I was not very well <laughs> when we actually hit that three weeks left mark. But I'm going to start pushing it. And today we had a bit of boost because few people who I thought had seen it hadn't actually seen it. And then it got shared on Twitter and sort of, yeah, it's almost like, you know, you it's so weird to say, but it's like, you know, be part of communities, tell your communities and your friends what you're doing, get them in and get them sharing. And well, I'm hoping before the campaign ends to have it reviewed by someone, but 
we shall see. <laughs> I like the sound of that. You've got like a, a plan. I think that's one of the things that I've learned, not fully executed just yet, but that you're building momentum with your campaign and your work in general. And like Kickstarter is as much about the the community around your work as the the funding, which obviously is uh, important as well. But yeah, letting people in and on the journey, not just looking at it as a single campaign. Yeah, it's. I guess it's helped with my first one and with this one is that the books aren't finished, which means the people who are backing it are, you know, they're backing something that they're not necessarily certain what they're going to get, but they can come with you on the journey. I always make myself open to questions. As I say, yeah, there's just a bit of a plan. I think the the most important part, I think, the things that's helped a lot is sort of the pre-launch, letting people know that, um, so giving them a, a week or two to basically just keep reminding people. Um, I did a few streams in the run-up to the launch. I actually did a launch stream as well, so people could get quite excited about being the first person to back the Kickstarter and that kind of thing. Because um, I think it is, it's very important especially because Kickstarter is such a popular platform these days. You've got to do all you can sort of pre-launch because you can't just rely on people maybe stumbling across it on Kickstarter. Yeah, definitely. That's like a, yeah, you can't rely on the, the actual platform. You have to use the platform and then bring people to your campaign. And one thing that I did do last time and that I am sort of in the process of doing now, even though I absolutely hate it and it's like a necessary evil, is I do actually, I feel really bad for saying this, but I do make use of some of the targeted advertising on Facebook. Oh, okay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's a necessary thing to reach people, right? Exactly. The way I see it is sort of, you know, there's a book that I read called The Middle Finger Project, and in it, the author explains that Brad Pitt has to go on Oprah to tell people when he's got a new movie coming out. And if Brad Pitt has to do that, then you can do what you need to do to get it out there. So, Oh, for sure, yeah. I mean, we talked about this, like Tazzy and I have spoken about this, the, the need for promotion and how like, uh, as independent creators, sometimes we feel like, Am I promoting this too much? Am I am I talking about it? But you remember, yeah, like Brad Pitt has to go on shows. Like, I mean, I don't drink Coke, but Coca-Cola spend billions on advertising. It's the same thing. It's the same drink. It's yeah. been the same drink, but they still need to spend billions. I've not spent billions uh, on on advertising my matter. So yeah, there's still a gap there. But yeah, you, there is like advertising is a necessary evil. Basically, it's it does quite well. I'd say if you sort of use it sensibly, I've seen like a thirty percent click through rate, which is pretty good as far as online advertising goes. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. Yeah, I was quite surprised to be honest. But that's my thing is, um, I guess try and drum up all that interest before the launch. It kind of helps that Kickstarter do let you. If you get your projects sort of approved before your intended launch date, you can basically turn your page campaign into a pre-launch page and you can invite people to follow it and then they'll get an email notification. 
when you launch. Um, as I say, I did the launch party, which is always good fun. It's a slightly nervous thing because I always try and put it like smack bang in the middle of a, of a stream. Um, so I'm kind of just glancing at the clock going, is it time? Is it time? And yeah, just, you know, just building the community and being a part of it and, you know, sort of, there's a lot um, in comics as well. There's kind of a bit of like sort of to and froing. So, you know, if you've got like a shared audience um, with another creator in, well, not necessarily a shared audience, but if you find another creator who does something like you and their audience might be interested in what you do and your audience might be interested in what they do, there's always the chance for like cross promotion as well. So I've seen a few really successful Kickstarters make use of that as well. You know, sort of a rising tide lifts all boats, our rising ocean lifts all boats. <laughs> Can't quite remember what the actual <laughs> phrase is, but you know, support you know, support your fellow creators and they'll support you back and Yeah, no, I get that. And what is the what's the story about? Do you wanna uh, give us like a I don't know, like a elevator pitch to <laughs> yeah, uh, to continue using no. marketing terms? <laughs> so the final lullaby is a supernatural thriller about a young witch well, not that young, adult witch called um <laughs> Penelope who has been sort of sheltered from the supernatural world since her childhood days. A vampire attack completely shatters her sheltered worldview and now she's being dragged around into everyone's business by three other witches and there's vampires and demons and nightclubs and it's not for kids. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Noted. All right. All right. Sounds very interesting. And you mentioned, I think you said on your page that you make very British comics. Yes. What does a very British comic look like? I think I know, but... It's more on the writing than it is the actual artwork, because I do not draw in a British comic style. But it's more that kind of the way that the British don't really take things seriously. Like, we don't take things seriously, even if something serious is happen happening like some someone will always find a quip to be made and that tends to happen in my writing as well not so much at the moment but i'm pretty sure once once all my characters are a little more comfy with each other there will be yeah, more it'll come out um, yeah it'll come out yeah okay so yeah very british comics and you mentioned this being your second kickstarter for a volume three uh is there is there anything that you learned from your uh, first campaign that you've you brought on to, to this one make sure in the shipping you include some money for all the time you do for packing because it takes a long time and basically uh i didn't factor that in when i and while the actual shipping costs were covered, what it didn't necessarily cover was, um, I suppose at the time when I launched, I couldn't really foresee it happening, but the whole issue with Brexit and EU customs, I've uh, had yes. a few books returned to me. So there's a bit of expense in getting those reshipped out. Obviously, for a business would normally be able to just absorb that cost but we are not businesses. We are like small scale <laughs> creators and we should try and factor a little bit of that into um, our campaign targets. Your time is worth money. 
and don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Yeah, no, that's that's a good good point. In general, shipping specifically, trips up, Kickstarter campaign uh, starters. I definitely got <laughs> tripped up for that. I've done multiple campaigns with like a half <laughs> half and half uh, success rate. But the ones that have succeeded, the recent one for uh, Serious Through the Fog was completed last year, but shipped beginning of this year. I really can't remember what time is like. It was either the end of last year or beginning of this year. And shipping has got more expensive since. I think it's a Brexit thing or just a pandemic-related inflation thing. I don't know. But I spent so much on shipping that just was not factored into a campaign, which is already twice as long as I originally planned. So that, yeah, costs, budgeting, all that stuff. Like, take it seriously at every stage, not just making uh, the comics. So that's a good good thing to mention. Oh, and don't forget that um, your platform will always have a fee. So factor that in too. (laughs) Yeah, everyone takes their cut. (laughs) (laughs) And as well as Kickstarter, you also have a Ko-Fi, Ko-Fi. How how am I saying that? I think it's just Ko-Fi. It's meant to be like coffee, but I'm not... I'm guessing someone already had taken like coffee.com by then. (laughs) So like... How does that factor into your crowdfunding approach? I tend not to use Kofi um, in crowdfunding. It's more of a, if people enjoy the work that I've done, the work that I make available, uh, some of the advice I dispense as well, because sometimes I do do that. <laughs> mm. um, people, I, I basically just ex- use it as a bit of a tip jar, you know, just buy me a coffee. Yeah. Some people... Used like it's generally some of my friends from way back when who occasionally sort of drop some like pennies in every so <laughs> often just to say thanks, but it's all appreciated. Uh, especially now that I'm back in full time work and I can't give the hours to making things that I used to. It, I do appreciate like the people who still want to support anyway and drop in like a few quid, yeah. Yeah, I think it's uh, like the thing that these platforms have done is that idea of you making it on your own and supporting that and finding different ways that fit with your audience. So some people might be on the Kickstarter and the sort of defined pledge levels for different amounts, the coffee tip, and then you've got things like Patreon, sort of ongoing subscription. And yeah, just like figuring out the different ways that work for you as a creator, but also like your audience and different segments within that audience. And speaking of uh, sort of, you know, figuring out the whole kind of financial side to creating comics, uh, I did want to ask about the Association of Comic Creators. So how did that come together and what is your role within it? So myself and a fellow creator who is also Leeds-based called Jenny Gilblood, we basically despaired a little. Um, So this is sort of... The beginning, and uh, not necessarily the beginning, but when around the time when we all realized the pandemic was actually going to go on for a lot longer than what we all thought. So this would be around June, July 2020. Comics had its Me Too moment. So a lot of dodgy practices, exploitative people were basically, um, there were a lot of stories flying around. And the thing that me and Jen took because we are indie creators we are not 
we don't have agents, we don't work with publishers. But what we found the most shocking was that people who worked with publishers and people who had agents and were a bit more sort of stuck into the actual industry side of things were saying, oh yeah, it's an open secret. Everyone knows this. And we were like, no, not everyone does know this. And this is how this happens. So we thought, we basically were talking about it and we decided there needed to be a space where comic creators can safely talk about problematic behavior with other people like issues that they're having with publishers and contracts a general knowledge share to as i say the our one of our aims is to improve transparency about behavior in the comics industry but we are just two small independent people so rather than sort of make it an open conversation which is still quite um it's quite risky really to speak out openly about a bad actor in the industry still we did have to unfortunately sort of make it like a closed space people have to sort of will verify that they are like a comic creator whether that's independent or if they're published or um whatnot and it's just basically to share knowledge it it's kind of it exploded a bit faster than what we could keep up with so a few of our aims we haven't actually been able to keep up to but in terms of people sharing events going on through twitter that you know people might not see new platforms coming up for comic artists we're very much is a safe space where people can speak a little openly about um issues that they've had with contracts and we have partnered with the society of authors comics creators network to essentially act as a bit of like a liaison so we start to see common things being mentioned by people in the AOCC we can go to the comics creators network to give them like a little heads up and they've got a legal team and and can audit firms and stuff oh wow you have audit power that is we don't we don't no indirect (laughs) indirect Yeah. yeah Um, So I guess the most notable thing um, that happened was, at least from the Society of Authors perspective, was the audit of no-brow contracts, which led to a lot of breaking of contracts and monies owed paid out. Okay. So it's it's not like they just audit and like gave them a slap on the wrist. It's like the actual results. But as I say, for... For the Association of Comic Creators, at the moment, we're kind of more on on the knowledge sharing than reaching out to sort of industry to try and improve like transparency. But and people do share sort of tales, not tales, like where people have actually been found to be sort of like bad actors. Mm. people who don't necessarily aren't necessarily nice to be around say like conventions for example might take advantage of people some of the things and but the most important thing i have to say because we get asked this a lot is we don't keep a blacklist that is not 
the intention. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we do get asked a lot, do we have a list of people, known bad actors? Do we have a blacklist of publishers you shouldn't go to? And we're like, we're not, that's not the point. Hmm. The point is we openly share what it is like so people can make an edge like have an educated sort of approach to risk taking that's the thing that if you're someone or an organization who is acting in a bad way that's the thing you you prey on you you prey on people who don't know so uh, i'm gonna tell you what is in my benefit and not in yours so something like what you're doing is is good just so people can make better more informed decisions and just learn as well because you know yeah it's just good to learn as things i've been doing this for a while as things i'm still learning uh things i'd wish i'd known way earlier so yeah no it sounds like a positive initiative yeah um i think we have helped out a few new people i know there's been a few a handful of people who have actually gone on to get published somewhere through it so that's always good to see and I think it helps as well that it's not just us, but sort of across the industry, people are a lot more willing to speak out now. There's definitely more power with the people. So the the, the whole Action Labs thing going on at the moment is a result of people speaking openly about the very bad experiences they've had with Action Labs. Oh, right. Okay. I was not aware of that. Yeah. um, So Action Labs, basically, I'm... Not going to go into great detail because there's many articles, but there are basically a number of creators who they had signed deals with. The contracts made it very difficult for them to break the contract. I think that it had to be, there was some kind of time limit um, where if they didn't do something, the contract would automatically end. But if they made it available as like a, in a digital format, mm. the contract would essentially never end. Um, okay. Yeah, <laughs> and there were a lot of sort of missed publishing deadlines and non-payments and The Beat and Comic Book Yeti, I think, have both had very detailed articles about stuff that's been going on with Action Labs. Okay, okay, wow. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's good that that kind of stuff gets shaken out. I feel that there must be, maybe this is like uh, overly idealistic, but there must be a way where both sides can get a benefit. <laughs> And uh, and both get what they uh, what they want without one side trying to stack the deck in their favor. But uh, I'm idealistic, so maybe that's just like a uh, a pipe dream. But anyway, it sounds like it's a good uh, initiative, and I imagine that you get uh, many comic creators sort of that are maybe sort of new to sort of creating comics, comic industry, and and certainly when it comes to being self employed, who benefit from the information that you're providing. Yes, we do have a lot of we do get a lot of people who have just sort of graduated from say an illustration degree or I mean now you can actually study sort of graphic novels so there are a few sort of graphic novelists and we've got people who have just sort of released their first commercial piece and people who have been doing it for 10 plus years and everyone um are 20 30 years and then everyone in between we do find that activity is a bit more like the people who tend to sort of engage more with with the the group are like the newer people are um webcomic artists a particularly busy group of people on our but i guess that's just the nature of sort of us having a digital presence mostly we are 
pretty much focused a lot on sort of online platforms at the moment because many of us sort of were a little cautious when it comes to publishing agreements. Yeah, no, it's understandable. And I mean, it's, it sounds like that you would your yourself would have learned a lot from this process. And as someone who you, know, you talked about the sort of sort of being self-employed, balancing a a nine to five with creating comics, is there something that you've learned about yourself from that sort of self-employed journey? Uh, yes, um, I've very much learned the limits of what is reasonable. I guess I've learned that it can it's it can be difficult and it can be very tempting to resist the urge to you know follow the crowd you see like uh, like some kind of meme artwork making the rounds on twitter and you kind of want to get in and it moves and it it just moves too fast for me personally mm. but i'm sort of one of these people who was like i want success doing what I choose to do not what I think I should be doing because if you're not true to yourself and you're not doing things that you enjoy you're doing them because you think you have to rather than because you want to you're not going to stick with it that's not how well, I mean for me I'm not going to stick with it if I don't enjoy it that's just not how I'm wired up and there's a difference between one bad day and disliking the thing entirely like so don't throw basically if you're having a bad day don't throw in the towel just yet you know but if it's like a long-term thing you probably want to start reviewing what what's going on yeah and yeah being able to tell the difference uh as well so okay so we're gonna get to our guest tip i do have one more question before we get to pulling out a uh, a pro tip from you but uh what do you think is a a common or a biggest misconception about creativity that it only comes in bursts like out of the blue it doesn't you show up you do the work and you'll get the ideas but you gotta show up i like that yeah okay so with that we are now going to get into our guest pro tip in each interview, we like to ask our guests some uh, advice for aspiring creative professionals. So we've been talking about comics today. Uh, so, Fef, what advice do you have for others listening who may want to get started in creating their own comics? Just do the comics. <laughs> you can only you cannot get better at doing comics without doing comics. Obviously, there are a lot of very good resources and books that can help you write good comics but ultimately you have to make the comics but if that is not <laughs> the kind of tip my second tip would be be patient it's a long game comics is a long long game yeah people I need that one. yeah <laughs> i'd say it takes about five years it's taken me about five years of being in conventions and selling my comics to get to the point where a lot of people are starting to you know go oh actually yeah this is a comic artist this is a comic creator who's gonna stick for the long term so mm, i'll take notice now yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it is it is a it is a factor of time uh, i say that uh, being sort of constantly frustrated with the <laughs> the length of time things do take but you're definitely right and i think even your the first tip is is very valid because 
we've had people say it in some form or another uh, on the show before, but I think it's always worth reminding that just start. Like that's the the best way. I mean, and it can be, and I I get it. It can be very sort of uh, debilitating where you just you have all the reasons why something might not work out or you think you can't do something and you just get paralyzed and you don't start and nothing's going to happen if you don't start. And I will add to your tip and just say that, like I mentioned at the beginning that we've launched this uh, campaign in, uh, in the gaming space. And I know like we've just launched it. So it's very new and, and, you know, there's places we want to want it to go, but it's been something that I've spoken to many people about to get some form of support, or some form of involvement. Uh, it didn't always work out, you know, for whatever reason. But now it's started. There's even conversations, even today, before we were recording this, that can only happen once you have started something. So once people can see it, then you can have a different conversation with people. So yeah, I, I think that's a very valid tip and always worth remembering to get started do the thing and if you don't need to make and you probably shouldn't start with a big epic series start with a full page comic i made that mistake yeah yeah (laughs) that's true yeah i made that mistake yeah so before i started this long form one i think i mentioned previously was writing t-girl which is a series of self-contained issues between 24 to 32 pages because Mm. You know, that gives you like enough pages to sort of spend time on things without being so overwhelmingly large that it gets, you know, you get like 10 weeks in and you're still not finished and you're like, oh, just goodness me, when will this end? Like, yeah. even start with a four pile comic, good old four coma, and then yeah. work up. <laughs> there you go. Just, yeah, do that. Don't do what we did and try and start uh, an anthology with four different comic artists when you've never written a comic before. Uh, enough about that let's go to the uh, next segment all good tips so yeah listeners uh let us know what you think you can give us your feedback feedback at myamada.com so before we wrap for this episode we're going to go into the bonus round sorry i'm just gonna like jump into some sort of like bonus questions that don't quite fit anywhere else um so first off very very important question um since since uh your comics are very british <laughs> what brand of tea do you drink <laughs> uh <laughs> um that's a good question uh puka teas because i tend to drink like green tea so me too puka teas yes drink a lot of green tea they do very Same. good matcha tea mm. I like their flavors. I'm a very big fan of. Uh, actually, do you know what one I had recently that I really like? Ginger and licorice. Oh, oh. actually, I see that working. That work? Oh, it is amazing. Ginger and licorice. Yeah, I've had ginger. They, they put a lot of licorice root in a lot of their non-tea based stuff. So their vanilla chai has licorice root in the free cinnamon tea also has licorice in it gives it like a natural sweetness mm. really nice really nice uh to have ginger and licorice or peppermint and licorice and a bit of jo- dark chocolate if you want to like indulge but mm. you still kind of want to be healthy <laughs> it's a really pro tip <laughs> um warning it goes very well together and you might just eat the whole bar of chocolate dark <laughs> chocolate to be specific otherwise it doesn't work as well 
Um, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> interesting, interesting. That's cool. Yeah, we could talk about tea. My other question is to like a new reader, what comic could you suggest they dive into first? Say definitely go for the tea girl stuff. Not only because it's like my older stuff, but it's a lot more lighthearted and probably a better idea of how my brain works. It might set you up a bit for the the more the the kind of more serious nature of a uh, the final lullaby. But there's there's like an aspect of supernatural things happening running between the two. Um, at least there was. I'm not sure if I actually got up to that point with T Girl, but weird things happen. So sounds yeah. really cool. <laughs> yeah. How's the weather been up north? Uh, today very wet slightly windy but i live in a valley so it's pretty much always windy <laughs> ah, okay that's your own fault really yeah <laughs> we're living in a valley it's all yeah, yeah yeah, yeah. You, you, you knew what was what was coming so yeah that's true it's true <laughs> yeah um and also uh i saw that you recently stopped doing a monthly subscription Ah, yes. Was that a difficult decision to make or was it just quite clear cut of like, I need to do this for my mental health, so it's stopping? It has been difficult for a long time until very recently. So I've actually been, it's not the first time that I've been toying with the idea of closing Patreon, but with me now being sort of full time and I've got the Kickstarter to do and there's a big event going on later on this this year I just couldn't I just couldn't justify it I felt really bad and I know it, like people can stop supporting like naturally if they wanted to but I think for my mental health and to give myself a bit more breathing room and one less thing to worry about one less set of numbers to track and hopefully one less service telling me how to get more people signing up to. Oh my God. (laughs) I decided it wasn't actually that difficult to actually hit unlaunch. It was a little sad, like after the event, because I was like, oh, but then I was like, but now I don't have to worry about whether I'm making pages fast enough for people. Yeah. Um, So yeah and as i say i'm i'm back full-time working and i make enough money through that now that i don't need to worry so much about like people funding but i haven't totally closed off if people want to support they can literally go to my coffee and drop some cash in there so not opposed to the idea of public support i just couldn't justify a monthly subscription at this point no, no one should be opposed to the idea of people giving you money for your work. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. However you get it. Exactly. <laughs> Apart from stealing. I mean, you know, however you get it legally. <laughs> Not like any means necessary kind of thing here, but you know what I mean. Within reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, yeah. It's understandable just not wanting that. Like, just there, even if. Yeah, it's it's always in the back of your mind because everyone's got a Patreon well, sometimes it feels that way. So you see it a lot. <laughs> and every time I see the Patreon logo, I'm reminded that I had a Patreon. And yeah. that kind of would automatically cause a little bit of stress. Like, when was the last time I updated this? It's kind of thing. So, 
I really do hate those emails that are like, here's how you can get more followers and get more supporters, da da da. And I like yeah. keep the emails on because I want to get like important updates of things that are like actually going to change. But they just send you these and I'm like, I don't want those. Thank you. I yeah. don't, I don't want those. <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, especially because it's always not necessarily related to the kind of creativity that we do so mm. but yeah it's it is tough there are a lot of reminders and you know um like sometimes it's like maybe i don't want to grow super fast maybe i just want to take this nice and slow mm-hmm. yeah definitely maybe i'm just enjoying the now yeah i was actually listening to a podcast that was talking about like just enjoying Wait, another podcast there is no other podcast except ours no. <laughs> <laughs> There are none. None exist. This is the yeah, only one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and they were talking about just like having those moments of like actually just enjoying whatever level you are at the time rather than like trying to chase the next milestone. And that really sat with me. So Yeah. I've actually been thinking about that a lot with sort of asking myself well what does success look like to me and I'm despite my chatty chatty chattiness I don't actually want to be super big like I would like um and I have readers who absolutely like are fanatical about what I do all I want is to just make enough money to pay my bills pay for groceries and like treat myself once a month you know like i just want to make a living as a comic artist and a comic creator i have no i do not desire to be mega rich or like swamped by people at conventions and that kind of thing <laughs> i think that's important that you do know what you want because you can in theory you can have anything and you can find yourself in a situation but like you said earlier it's about you know you can have stuff and not be happy with it but you know what you want then yeah you can yeah work towards that whatever it is yeah so well fef thank you for joining us and giving us that that insight and all those tips as well thank you for having me it's been a joy yeah no always appreciate when people give the time to uh, to talk so hopefully people listening to this enjoyed it as well if you did make sure that you subscribe to the story x story podcast the only podcast that exists ever always will be so you don't miss an episode so you can also give us a rating and review which helps us reach new listeners and fans of story discussions uh, so as we've been talking comics our latest comic serious through the fog is out you can check out that story along with our other titles on the maya Mada website you can also join our studio 77 discord for free and consider becoming a member for exclusive access to gamepad events and content from the maya matter universe uh, and i said it at the top we'll say it again our do i look like a gamer video game representation campaign is now live we're launching the campaign so that future generations of talent will know that there is a place for them in video games and empower them to be an active part of shaping the future of the video games industry so we have a bunch of plans in store check out the the photo campaign where you can see the 40 players and makers and keep an eye out for news on campaign events and how else to get involved so that will be at look like a gamer 
com another website we had because i just like starting websites and uh, and stuff i don't know what uh, what's wrong with me but you can stay tuned for more podcast episodes including creator interviews like this episode video game discussions and of course deep dives into stories across pop culture uh, you can always give us a shout directly our email address is feedback at myamada.com and our website with links to subscribe is myamada.com forward slash story x story so until next time stay tuned and stay safe everyone mm-hmm.